Telling you, bro. What's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more Peggy-O's. Hi, my name is Shane Terrio, and you are listening to The Riff Raff. Music, stories, and insights from the front line. All right, today's guest is Mr. Warren Demartini. Warren is best known as being the badass guitar gunslinger and one of the most prolific and massively successful of all the 80s bands. That would be a little band known as Rat. If you've been listening to my show Riff Raff for a while, you know that pretty much everybody on here was either an influence or even a hero of mine. Warren is certainly no exception. He had a huge impact on my own playing and style. I have been wanting to get Warren on the podcast for a while now. I know he doesn't like to do interviews, but after I told him about Riff Raff, he said he'd love to do it. Now the only problem was that I only had a limited amount of time in LA, and we kept running out of opportunities. But the day before I left town, Warren called and said, Hey man, I've got an idea. What if I drive you around, you can interview me, and I'll take you to all these sites and places that, that make up the history of Rat. And then he says, man, this will be great. The story of round and round, riding around various landmark sites, it's never been done before. So, hey, this is an interview that probably Eddie Trunk would be proud of. This is a really different episode. You'll have to excuse some of the car noise and traffic sounds. But for Rat fans, there's a goldmine of great stories. For guitar players, you'll love it. So check it out as Warren drives me to the old apartment known as the Rat Mansion West, where many of the hits were written. The theater where Rat was signed, how Round and Round came about. We talk amps, guitars, great stories about Uli Roth, early years of Rat, metal scene in the 80s, much, much more. I'd like to thank my friend Jack Mealy at Music Shed Studio for helping clean up the audio, reduce some of the noise. All right, enough talk. I've just stepped out of the lobby of the Roosevelt Hotel on the Hollywood Boulevard, and Warren's just pulled up. I'm hitting record, and here we go. Enjoy. We can start. Yeah, let her rip. All right, well, I'm sitting in Warren Martini's car riding around Hollywood. We're on, uh, we're on Sunset Boulevard heading west. And Warren, man, I really appreciate you uh, swinging by again, yet again, driving around, <laughs> taking the time to do this. You know, yeah, man, man you're, you know, you're a visitor in town and uh, all too happy to show you around. Um, but you where are we going now? You're going to show me the... Uh, okay, so what I thought I'd do is, is, uh, is tell you the story of, of Round and Round. And, uh, and in doing that, you know, we'll, we'll cover sort of the, the whole, the whole thing from basically from when, from high school to, uh... Wow. To, to when the band, uh... Whoa. <laughs> um, <laughs> left on red in LA traffic. Uh, uh, to to when you know we 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 played uh, a show at the at the Beverly. I think it was called the Beverly Wilshire. Has a different name now. Uh, where we got uh, signed. Okay. Cool. Like the story is that uh, our manager and, and future producer and the president of Atlantic were all sitting together, and it wasn't until we played round and round that he was like up signing these guys yeah so I thought it would be kind of cool to drive around and, and uh, talk about the different places that you know that had to where, where that song was either constructed or, or uh, finished you know you played the bowl last night yep what was, yeah. that, what was that like well you know it was actually hot like we were talking about I mean you were there it was kind of humid for LA you know, it's funny, we met at Hollywood Bowl years ago. That was probably 16 or 17 years ago. Uh, wow. I think, yeah. It, it had to be. That was like 97, yep. 98 is where we first met. You came out to a gig, Neville Brothers and Dr. John and Buddy Guy. Yeah, I, that's right. One of the things I always liked about your play, man, I mean, was at the time, you know, when Rat hit all the it was the it was the time of like the guitar solos and MTV and all that stuff but 
man. And I, I loved your playing a lot. And I there were a lot of there Thank were a you. couple of other guys. There was you know George Lynch, and there was um, Jake. You know I like Jake Lee too. But your playing, and I'm not just saying it because we're hanging right now. You always had like a little bit of swagger that, that besides the, the cool technical stuff you did, you had the, the swagger and the bluesy kind of funky thing that was mixed in. That it, That's what always appealed to me. Just was a little something where it had a little more soul to it, you know? Thanks, um, thanks. Yeah, I, uh, and I mean, that's what most people say when they describe your playing. I would say, you know... On round and round, did you use Marshalls for that record? Yeah, okay. I, it was. A, I don't know if I read it or heard it somewhere that you had some modified basements that were used. On modified some, basements? No, never, unfortunately. Because um, that those sounds, man. You always get killer guitar tone. I mean, even it now was you, our first uh, real, you know. Um, our, well, no, second. We, we did the the Rat EP. And a little studio on Melrose, which is coming up here actually. Um, and but that was like a two days recording, and that was it. And then and then it was mixed and remixed, you know, over the next few months, as as money, you know, they scraped together enough money to finish it, you know. Done. So it was like this flurry of, you know, got to rehearse and they go in and cut it, and then, and then like nothing happened for for months. And then you'd get a cassette and it'd be like. All right, well, you know, we need to, we need to keep trying. Live with it for a while. Yeah, yeah they was kind of, kind of worked that around for a while. Um, but uh, the, when we recorded out of the cellar, you know, our first reel, it was our first time so in the studio. So we, or especially for me. Um, so I had no idea. I had no idea just how, you know, how to, how to, uh, you know, get the sound I was, I was hearing in my head mm. at all. So it was, it was kind of... Um, I remember wanting a better sound, you know, to the point where, like, the, when it came time to track the leads, you know, we were trying to get a sound with, with a Marshall and probably some kind of distortion box, and it just, you know, wasn't, it just wasn't uh, cohesive to, yeah, you know, if, the, if, if you're working with a sound that, that, that you're sort of struggling with or fighting with, um, you won't get anything, regardless of your potential, you won't, you know, won't get get anything down it's just it's a weird thing you have to be comfortable and you can't be aware and I remember saying god I wish I, I wish I could get a sound like I get with my practice amp and he's like well why don't we use your practice amp and I was like you can do that <laughs> and what was your practice amp <laughs> it was a, a a Fender super champ that's probably where the basement legend started right there Finished Super Jam. I think I I read that somewhere. Maybe yeah, you know, use that. yeah. It's a, they were they were really smoking little little amps. Uh, still have it. Was that um, one of the the Fender uh, Rivera era ones? Yes, it a? was. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, those are cool amps, man. I had a long conversation with with uh, Rivera about that because I needed to replace the reverb tank one time, and I ended up ca calling him up. And and then we just started talking, you know, he had no idea that that amp was the, the amp that I used. <laughs> on, on out of the cellar, yeah. Yeah, I had, a, I had um, an orange cabinet loaded with 200 watt EVs, and we just took the back off the orange cabinet and wired the super champ, unplugged the 10 and wired it straight to the, to one of the EVs, mic'd that up, and it was like, you know, then we could move on to doing in the leads. Like, okay, <laughs> that problem's over. <laughs> So this was the street? Yep, this was it. National National Boulevard. And 
and uh, so it, it was one of these. I'll know it when I see it. Yeah. One of those, you know, two level. I think this was. That's it. The white one. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That was it. That's it. Wow. I think so. I'll know when I get by the thing, but yeah. So we're at the intersection of National and Castle Heights, mm -hmm. and on the uh, there's a, a white apartment building. Yep, National Capri. And that that um, window right there is the window to the. I see. That's where that was. A, wow. Yeah. This used to be a supermarket. Yeah, there's Vons. Was it Vons still there? I yeah. mean, Vons was there, but yeah. So yeah, I don't know what it was back then, but it was it was yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so it was pretty. Um, it was pretty common to to uh, you know just be drifting off to sleep. Be about you know two in the morning, two thirty in the morning, and uh, you know half the troubadour comes. Barreling in, <laughs> party <know>. house, <laughs> and I was like, cool once in a while, but yeah, every night you're you're uh, partying. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely it. You and Jakey e. Lee were roommates, right? Yeah. And then, yep. did you guys practice together? Or how much of playing did you did rub off on one another? Was there any? Um, you guys trade licks a lot and stuff when you were living together. Or? There, yeah, there was. Um, what what had happened was Jake joined Rat. I was in twelfth grade, my last year of high school, and whole year Jake was in Rat up here, and they were playing where they could. And um, and because I knew Jake uh, before he moved up here, we, you know, we kept we kept in touch on the phone and stuff. Um, he he. Rat needed a, an opening act for a couple of shows, and one one of those shows was um, at, at a at a hotel, like a conference room at a at a hotel in Burbank. So we opened a show for Rat in uh, in Burbank, and that and that is definitely what got me the gig in Rat. Um, we 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 had the drummer Leroy had recorded. Uh, there was a show called Doctor Demeno, and they would play the. the and, like live stuff and all this cool stuff and uh, he had recorded a live Aussie set from the UK on Dr. Domeno's show and that and in that show they played a song that was on the record that was out in the UK but it wasn't out in America wow. Diary of a Madman there's a song in there called Believer so we, we he had a copy of this song from an Aussie record that was you know everyone was waiting for it to, to drop and uh, we learned it so you know to play an unreleased Aussie track in Burbank of all places you know Randy the hometown yeah. of Randy Rhodes uh, was just unbelievable man wow. I mean you know it was a good set for us and you know we got standing ovation and, um, it just went it just went really really well and then shortly after that Jake uh, moved on and and then I got the call to uh, join Rat, and I was uh, you know I was enrolled in a JC down in San Diego, and I was like, uh, wow, man, I don't, I don't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? Like 20, 21? Well, no, I was I was eighteen. Eighteen. Wow. Yeah, because I just the school graduate twelfth grade graduation, then that summer, and then I got this call, you know probably just right before right for I think it'd been I'd been going to uh, Mesa College for a couple of weeks and and I got and then Stephen called me and said uh, you know you want to you join RAT and I was like well you know maybe after this semester and he's like no dude you gotta you'd have to come up now tonight right we have a gig at the <laughs> Troubadour we have a gig at the <laughs> Troubadour in a week you know, so this was on like a Saturday or a Sunday, and there was a show Friday or you know Saturday at the Troubadour. So um, I was like, uh, let, me, "Let me call you back in ten minutes." <laughs> and, and I just, my mom was out at the store, and uh, I'm like, it was a big decision for me at the at the at the time because you know I, mainly just the thing of 
of having to tell my mom, you know, that I wasn't going to, you know, that I was going <laughs> to do this was, was, was the hardest part. So I, what I tried to do is just get, I called Steven back and I said, okay, uh, you know, I'm in, I'll, you know, I'll do it. And, and, and the, and the deal was, uh, he's like, I'm like, well, where would I stay? And he's like, well, Jake said, uh, he, you know, you could stay there for a while, to, you know, to, you know, to learn this, he'll show, you know, help you learn the set and, uh, and the endings and all that stuff. And, um, and you, you know, you can, you can, uh, just, he's got, you can sleep on his couch for, for a while. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Yeah. And so I tried to get everything in my car, you know, two orange cabs and, you know, amp and you know, my guitar and all that. Basically try to move <laughs> my life, uh, in, you know, as quick as I could. And, um, got everything in the car and I was closing the, the car door and here come these headlights and I'm like oh man I think that's my mom's car <laughs> <laughs> and you're leaving yeah. and sure enough it was he's like where are you going I'm like uh <laughs> got an invitation to join a rock and roll band that's in LA <laughs> oh, I don't think that's such a good idea <laughs> <laughs> oh man that was a good idea okay, yeah So yeah, uh, that those uh, Jake and stays up all night playing guitar and and uh, quickly adapted to that. So we would uh, you know be watching a, a really you know fuzzy you know black and white TV reruns of some show, not even paying attention. Just he'd be working on what would end up being Bark at the Moon, and I was chipping away wow. at the chords round and round. Wow! And, and both sort of sitting on the floor their backs against the couch and I mean this was the routine you wow know, man, like, um, that's, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall there we had no idea that that these songs what these ideas we were we were just playing you know just weird I had a Charvel kind of a mutt Charvel that I you know put together from secondhand parts and uh, Jake had his white well, it wasn't white yet. It was still the sunburst <laughs> um, Fender Strat, yeah. unplugged. You know what I mean. But you can hear it. You can hear it well when nothing. I mean, you know, TV yeah. is super low if, yeah. it, if the sound's on and all. And we just, you know, you're just playing. You can hear it fine. Um, but it's not waking the neighbors up or anything. And uh, you know, it's it's like we were chipping away at songs that were gonna be heard. You know. Yeah, man. Bark at had, the moon and round and round. I definitely shedded both of those yeah he's like that's the you should you should that's a good one you should you know work on you know keep working on that and then he's doing the riff to like you know bark at the moon or, or you know yeah bark at the moon when we were shooting the pictures for the out of the cellar album cover to bark at the moon debuted on klos and that's what was playing in the in the photo studio. Yeah. They just had KLOS on. Wow. Like, oh, new track for, you know, it was good old Uncle Joe Benson, and, you know, new track from Ozzy, you know, with Jakey Lee, you know, hometown guy, and you know, and it's just like, I was like, oh my God. That's surreal, surreal, man. You're doing your photo shoot for your record, and yeah. then your buddy Jake's songs on the radio. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So, yeah. both you guys, it was a, it proved to be a good move. Yeah. Yeah. So we, so we did, you know, to answer your question, yeah, we did, we did uh, jam a lot. And, and, well, we didn't jam, it was just like, it was just quietly working on our own stuff, but right, you know, right, we just, just sitting there in the living room. And I moved, moved around a bit, and then um, we moved into this place, which we're, we're getting close to here. We're on uh, Robertson, crossing Pico, and uh, it's, I've seen that in a while, but for for a little while uh, later, you know, later that year, this was like when I when I was when I joined up. Like I said, it was in the fall, 
of uh, 82, moved in. Rob and Stephen and I got moved into this little apartment down here in Culver City. Or no, it was National City. And um, it was just a one-bedroom apartment. Had a kitchen, a little tiny. So three of you guys are living in one bedroom apartment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I just had had a, my practice amp and uh, my guitar, and I would just, uh, you know, work on 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 I, you know, I plug in at some point during the day, you know, and start work, you know, just playing. And uh, and Stephen and Robin were like, "What's that?" And it's like, oh, they got these, you know, it's this part I've been working on. And then we all sort of gathered around in a circle, and um, you know, I had the verse and the solo section, I think, and uh, yeah, the verse solo section and the chorus chords to round and round, and then Robin had the I knew right from the beginning part, mm. and and so within I don't know 15, 30 minutes we had there it was, man, you know, and, and, you know, so I'm sitting in my practice amp, Robin's sitting on his. Steven's just standing there, kind of scouting along, going, you know, no, do that, you know, double that part, that kind of stuff. And then Robin's like, ah, you, you know, be, I got this other song, make a perfect pre-chorus to this, you know. And uh, it might, okay, I think it's... it's so you more, haven't been here in a long time. We're getting more... So that you know, there there it was. Um, round and round was born, <laughs> or most of it was born. Robin work out a lot of the parts before you got into the studio or did you like how did you know who was going to play what it just it just would sort of um, work itself out naturally you know um, I think the double lead we were going to originally just split the lead in round and round and and, uh, and he wasn't happy with the, 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 the leads he was doing so I, I said well you know, why don't we do like a why don't we do a double lead and I just wrote that that part right there, and uh, it was all so new, man. It was like I didn't realize it, but that we were doing what you should do in in the situation because you don't know everything that you're going to do when you go in to record a record. Yeah. You know, you have a you know you want to have an arrangement. You want to know you know more or less what's going to happen. But when it comes down to just you know refining it and you know doing the you know the the pinstriping, if you will, that you, you make up in there, in, in the moment. That was another moment where I was like, is this okay to do, you know, okay <laughs> <laughs> kind of going on off script or whatever, or there is no script for this part, right? So I just right there wrote the, wrote that, what the double lead is, and then we, we worked out the harmony just right there. It sounded really terrible for a little while. Um, but you know what I mean? Eventually we found the, the something that sounded euphonious and yeah. um, a lot of bad notes in the process but it's like eventually we know you know after I don't know after a while it just there it was and then uh, and then you know Robin worked on it got it down and, and you know what I mean it was it really had a similar sort of excitement and, and uh, surprise to constructing the song in the first place you know <laughs> I remember reading, well, it was more of a quote, and Frank Zappa had, somebody asked Frank Zappa, who is your favorite guitarist, contemporary guitar players, and he said, Alan Holsworth and Warren Martini. Wow. And, um, yeah. And I was just wondering how you met, I know you, you're friends with Dweezil, and I just uh, interviewed Dweezil a couple weeks ago, and um, we basically talked about you all the time, and we play the riffs, and how did Warren, I'd always ask him, how did Warren show you how to play this? You know, and he would, well, he showed me like this, you know, because <laughs> I knew you knew him when, when he was a kid, but how did you meet Frank and, and Dweezil? Was it through Dweezil? Like, it was, was through Dweezil, yeah. Fan, we, right? we, uh, at the end of um, That of the Cellar tour, uh, we, we, we did a, 
we did our first uh, visit to Japan. And then when I got back from Japan, there was a message from Oli, or I'm sorry, a message from Dweezil inviting me to the to the house. And, um, you know, it was just like, yeah, you know, I just called him, called him up and uh, went over there. I, I, in hindsight, I wish I'd, I wish I had waited um, till my, the, the jet lag had worn off because for me, coming back from Japan, like, you know, you, you basically just start passing out around oh, two yeah, in man. the afternoon. Yeah. But I was so excited to meet Frank that I was just like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, sure, when? Oh, today? Sure, yeah, okay, you know. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was, it was amazing. Frank was, uh, was, it was, it was always an event to, to, to go over there and visit with them. Yeah, I remember one time, I remember one time, uh, we were, uh, at, at Frank Zappa's house and, uh, he, he showed me and dweezled this, uh, what is, is, you know, which I, I worked into the pre-chorus of Way Cool Jr., but it's like a descending, um, it was like an exercise, which I, I it's hard to, be hard to explain without a guitar, but but um, the descending part in Winkle Jr. is it, mm-hmm. it just has kind of a I don't know it's hard hard to describe. It's in the solo Winkle Jr. No, it's in the pre-chorus. Pre-chorus, yeah, you know. Uh, starts in B and then you know B flat A or or B A sharp A mm-hmm. uh, G sharp G A E chorus. You know, Wakel Jr. is a mild, is kind of a mild shuffle to it. Um, yeah. What what he showed us was just the was just the ascending chord pattern, and and the, the whole it, it morphed into into what it you know into kind of a shuffly thing. But but um, but that was that was really fun to to let that kind of um, it's like man that's a really uh, you know that's a a, a nice progression. It's, it's you know it's just a, it's a nice way to descend mm-hmm. and and uh, and after a few days it, it worked its way into this song and I remember I, d- I did you know I just had a little four track cassette yeah thing that I would do demos on and um, and I remember you know that that one came really easily you know I had the the whole arrangement and everything and I you know I did a, a, a demo and I remember playing that for Dweezil and I was like you remember you, you remember that thing Frank showed, showed us and, and he was like yeah that's 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 you know he really liked it and then we the next record that we did was Reach for the Sky and producer didn't really he didn't think it really fit with the, the rest of the of the songs that we had together and I was like that's cool it's put it in the drawer it'll 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 find its way someday, you know. And then um, we ended up at the very end of that record recording it because Dweezil had told we changed producers halfway through, and uh, Dweezil said, "I had forgotten all about it. Get Warren to play the demo of, of you know this this kind of bluesy bluesy <laughs> song." You know, Dweezil told the new producer that, or uh-huh. the guys in the oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it was it was. The new old producer was Bo oh, yeah. Hill, who came back and kind of finished the record. And um, Bo ran into Dweezil somewhere, and they were talking about the the record. And it was just completely the opposite. He had the complete opposite reaction to it that that the you know the producer we started out with did. Just, which you know is what it's all about. may be kind of a weird question but you know you I remember you were on the cover of Guitar Player magazine with the snakeskin guitar and all that and I always wondered if there was some uh, not friction but was there any did you ever feel weird about the well was Robin ever like maybe jealous that you were the the guitar hero 
personified a little more, maybe, like, because he was never on the cover of Guitar Player, you know? He, both of you guys are in there with an interview, but you're on the cover. I mean, did that ever cause any friction, you think? You know, if, if it did, he never, he never showed it. He was, uh, you know, I, I, he, he was always very, very supportive, and, and uh, I think probably, uh, you know, just glad that, that, that somewhat, you know, that yeah, someone was getting, getting you know, getting, getting any, anything like that at all. Um, hey, he was a great guitar player too, man. You know, I know, you know he wrote a lot. We of that we, stuff too, we were on a lot. I mean, he he wasn't on the cover of that of that magazine, um, but but we were on lots and lots of uh, you know, right. like Young Guitar in Japan, and and uh, you know, Robin was was uh, you know, like in the in the British press, he was the you know, you know, got more more uh, attention than than I did. So it's like you know, if it, if I got a little more in one area, he got more in another. You know. So it, you know, I, I, I think it, it all equaled out. It, I think it all equaled out. This is probably a, uh, another uh, urban legend. I don't, I'm not sure, but Milton Berle, who was in Round and Round video, is it, was he really Stephen Piercy's uncle? No, that's what he people was, uh, say yeah. a lot. But. No, he was uh, he was uh, our manager's uncle. Ah, okay. So somebody's uncle. Yeah. Affiliated, yeah, involved with it. So we're driving uh, east on Wilshire, heading east. And uh, this was not this one, but the the other side of this intersection was the the venue that we were um, signed at. Oh, okay. La Cienega, Wilshire. It's um, now called uh, the Saban. Oh. Back then, it was called the uh, I think it was called the Beverly Wilshire, Beverwill or something. Um, so that's it. But it's that's really you know really beautiful on the inside, you know. Deco style. Yeah. That was a really cool thing. Yeah, that was a trip. I remember we had, you know, remember we didn't have a great, didn't think, or we didn't think we had a great, very good show. Because there was so much pressure, the, you know, the record company there, and, you know, Atlantic Records, like, Every step of the way, you're just sort of um, amazed, like you know, amazed that this, 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 <laughs> the pieces are falling together. That they would be interested at yeah. all, right? I mean, a, you're hopeful, but when it actually starts happening, you're just like, he's just, I don't know, for me anyway, I could never believe it. Kind of like meeting people that, you know, um, like, you know, meet, meeting uh, people that, on records. Looking at album covers, like it, it just seems so far away. Like you know, you, you would just never, you know, you would never ever, ever meet them, or they would never ever. It was always a surprise if they knew your name. Who's the first person after after Rat hit and you got some notoriety? Who who's one of your heroes that you met and that feeling came and you're like, wow, I can't believe I met blah blah. Is there somebody that you remember? First person. Or... Uh, good question. Um, I met um, um, like when we play in in New York. You know, we'd go to some, you know, to, to uh, a club or something, and I meet Steve Stevens. And I met uh, Ace Freely. That was uh, he was <laughs> wow. hilarious. You know, and, and Mike. I met Michael Shanker. Yeah, who you later in New York? Yeah, uh, you know, that was very brief. Kind of at a you know he was walking out of a hotel and I was walking in and then year and then years later I met uh, Uli Roth that was mm. that was um, that was really cool um, the, that first Scorpions record at least at the the first pressing had a telephone number on it and it was so 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 
unusual, you know, there, there was never, never more than an address of the record company on a, on a record, you know, and this had a telephone number. And this, uh, this guitar player in San Diego called, called it relentlessly. <laughs> of he did, yeah. and, he, and the story is uh, that he told, uh, Rudy Schenker told me that it was his phone number, but we, the rumor we heard was that it was the, the, the recording studio. Uh, but whoever it was, and it was uh, a German, this, a German number. Yeah, 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 with the country code and everything. So like you know, zero one one. It must have cost a fortune to call you know, that like, number. Oh, back then. My, like five bucks. Yeah, a minute. every time. Five. Yeah. I swear to God, it was. Uh, I mean, that was back when it was at the old AT and T cable. Right. Literally a cable right. from New York to you know, uh, going across the whole Atlantic Ocean. One. Okay. <laughs> And uh, so the story is that, that he convinced uh, who, whoever was on the other end that he was Floyd Rose and that he had invented this guitar <laughs> clamp system and that Uli, you know, he had to get in touch with Uli because Uli would, would you know, really appreciate this and really, you know, he would want this. And he can somehow convinced him to give him Uli's home number. It's actually Monica Daneman's number. And uh, wasn't she Jimi Hendrix's girlfriend? Yeah. When he died, she was yeah. with him. Yeah. Uh, so then this this was all happening from a, a house that uh, like a bunch of people were squatting at in Pacific Beach. So then whoever owned the or whoever was on the uh, you know the bill for the for the phone got the phone bill and canceled the you know disconnected the phone. <laughs> so that was so that was the end of that. But the the. The number circulated, you know, like all my friends had it and I had it. And I would, ha I would so I worked out when it would be, because I figured like, you know, rock and roll, you know, so I, I figured just rock and roll, man. The, Willie Roth, man, he, you know, he, he probably gets up at noon, right? He's up all night. Right. So you figured out the time zone. Difference. You know, so I worked out when it was noon in Germany and it was like, you know, three in the morning, four in the morning. San Diego, so, you know, my the bass player, my band at the time, you know, the high school band, we would just, you know, on Friday night, we'd just stay up listening to Scorpion Records till around <laughs> 3 in the morning and then start calling this number. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, uh, God, for the first couple of weeks, it would just ring, you know. And then, and then a couple of times, Monica answered, no, Willie's out. Um, and then I did, I did actually, you know, get Uli a couple of times, and, and it was just like, oh my god, because he could, you know, I rec you know, I could recognize his voice from the, the songs he sings, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. So it's just like, you know, my so I, I kind of have the phone a little off, so my my friend could hear too, and uh, so the ring the hello, and it's just like, I just I just couldn't. <laughs> I just couldn't like say anything, you know. Hello, and my friends like say something, say something, and you know, I just managed to. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm Warren. What kind of picks do you use? And I, exactly, <laughs> you, you know, you use Celestians. <laughs> what do you say, man? It's like oh, he was so yeah. cool. He, he was just totally cool. You know, he talked. We talked for about 15 minutes, or so, you know, he talked to. Us. I'd finally kind of relax a little bit and get into some really good questions like, what kind of tubes do you use, man? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only shit that matters anyway, with guitar players. You know, you know um, so years later, he was playing the House of Blues, and I, I, uh, I, you know, I went down there and knocked on the door, and uh, and uh, the door opens, and I get, you know, Uli's kind of in the back, and I was like, I just said, do you, do you remember me? I'm, I'm Warren, you know, I used to call you. <laughs> Like, Warren who? <laughs> Demartini. Ah, yes, I remember you. That's not a very good bully imitation. That's my best bully imitation. But, um, so anyway, you know, that, that was a, that was a, an awesome thing, meeting Wooly. One time we were talking in New Orleans at, after your gig, and you were saying that this, you had got the snakeskin. Was that a Charvel, and you just covered it in snakeskin? Yeah, that's real I, it, snake there skin. were two. Well, there were two. Um, there were two. I got two. The the first one I did 
which which is a, the guitar in the lay it down video. Yeah. Um, I got on a, on a. We were we had a day off and we were just, you know, exploring the corridor and uh, there was a gift shop that had, you know, that an anaconda skin and, and I was like, man, that would that would completely cover the like no seam. You could just mm. do the whole guitar body. That was the first attempt, but that one was applied to a body that was that had been primed for, for pain, so it was you know completely white, and and it, it just it lost so much sound. Wow! Did it make it like muddy sound? It it, it it does. It makes it it made it really dark and and just uh, it, it didn't you know it, it as you would imagine just co you know covering yeah you know covering you know the guitar cool, in though. something that yeah it looked, it looked, looked amazing. But uh, it really did. I never got used to how dark it made the, the, the you know, the sound. So when on our next tour, uh, same thing. You know, I went back to that same shop, and and um, they had the what ended up being the, what's now the Python. And um, Maria, who was uh, making uh, shirts and stuff for me at the time, um, just I just gave her the skin and the body, and I was like, you put this, you know, just apply this on there. She just did a fantastic job. It's glued it straight to the wood, no, no primer, no nothing. And the tone was better on that one. It was, it was better, yeah. And now it's, it's like you know because it's, it's you know the glue is completely, probably part of the wood now. It's just completely hard, you know. Yeah, it's all kind of fused together, probably after. It, yeah, that that's that really matters. Not long after that, uh, that the, we heard "You Think You're Tough" on the on the radio. So, so Uncle Joe Benson created a show called Local Licks, and it was uh, 15 minutes, you know, drive time. Like, so, do, you know, rush hour, peak of rush hour, he would play two unsigned bands. The only rule was that you couldn't have a, a record contract, and um, we sent him. You know, we had made the EP and and uh, sent it in. And um, he played "You Think You're Tough," and I remember we we knew he was going to play it, and it was he was supposed to be at five. So I didn't, uh, for some reason, I remember I didn't have the radio on. I I had one of those radios all together, you know, a little tiny thing yeah. um, that had a cassette player in it, boombox thing. Yep, little bitty boombox, and uh, that and and that's what you know I, I was playing our mixes through. So then Robin comes, you know, it's. So it's like okay, we can play the song at five, and um, I don't know why, but I di I didn't. Maybe I was like I don't know why I wouldn't just have the radio on, but I did. But I remember Robin running into the apartment, going, "It's a it, it turn on Kilowatts, turn on Kilowatts," <laughs> and um, turned it on, and and it, the opening chords to "You Think You're Tough," you know, come on, and um, yeah, I remember man. it wow. was the strangest feeling hearing that through my boombox and not actually causing it to play like <laughs> being on the radio yeah you the know, first time it, it was it was almost like that moment when a plane takes off and you can tell it's not on the ground anymore mm. and you just you know it's it's a moment of being airborne and Lift it's like off, yeah. oh this is different you know it, it had that it had this sort of surreal thing of like it, you know it sounded a little different you know all that compression and you know it sounded a lot better actually but that that thing of not Pressing play, mm -hmm. like oh, you remember that feeling. Over. I remember, I remember that that feeling. We were talking the other day, and you were telling me that you. You have some of your old Marshalls that you had Dumble work on recently, and were you using were you using Marshalls at this time, right? One, did you have one main, like one that you used for recording and live? It was all one amp, or did you have a bunch of different amps at this point? I had a whole a bunch of different ones. Um, I I bought a whole this guy's whole collection, and they were like late '60s uh, to mid '70s. Uh, SL, you know, 100, 100 watts and yeah. super leads. And over the years, there were two or three favorites 
that that I that I still have, but I, I sold off the rest of them because you know I, I think I don't think it's good to, to to let them sit never and never play them. I think is it they're kind of like cars. You know, you got to you got to run them where the things start drying out. The, I'm the, gonna I'm gonna take my Marshall out. You know, you told me the day before yesterday, man, you got to take it out. I, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, I'm I'm because I'm, you're you're right. It's like what's the point of owning stuff if you don't really use it? It's not. It shouldn't be that precious where you can't take it on the road, you know? Yeah, I think um, it's, uh, and, and it's, I think the longer an amp sits and, and doesn't have a, ch- a, a current through it, you know, that I don't think that's really particularly good. So this used to be an apartment building. We're now across the street from the comedy store. Sunset Boulevard. What is this, At West Sun- Hollywood, right? Sunset and Olive. Across the street is the comedy store and Cross street from that is the House of Blues, and then on the other corner is this is uh, the, the now the, uh, the Mondrian, and this was um, an apartment building. And in Claude, who played keyboards in Dio at the time, uh, this is now 1982. I'm talking about Claude Chanel. Is that yep, Chanel? yep. Claude Chanel um, had a uh, was had an apartment, was renting an apartment, and Joey, who was playing bass in Rat. He was renting a room to Joey, so they were they had sold the building and they were they were going to renovate it for the uh, 1984 Olympics, and um, you know as people's leases were running out, they just move out and and they would just gut you know going from, starting from the ground floor up. Yeah, and um, you know Claude got his deposit back and moved out just like the you know per the the, the lease agreement, but Joey didn't have any agreement, so he just stayed. And, and I, you know, I was getting kind of, you know, I'd sort of had enough of the troubadour showing up at, at, at Rat Mansion West at 2.30 in the morning, you know, every <laughs> night. So, so he, uh, Joey was like, man, come over here. There's plenty of room and it's kind of quirky. There's, you know, there's construction going on, but, you know, it's like yeah. there's running water and there's, you know, you still got uh, running water. There's no phone. There was a pay phone in the lobby. And uh, and I was like, wow, you know, how much? He goes, nothing. So I'm like, <laughs> I can afford that. I'm like, wow, uh, apartment on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, what's the catch? So I I moved over and uh, spent that whole summer here. It was here that um, I came up with the line, level, find a way, just give it time. And I remember calling Stephen from this payphone, uh, who was still at the place in Culver City and just go, man, I just got a great idea for, for round and round. What do you think of this? And he was like, yeah, it's cool. I don't remember <laughs> what the line, I don't remember the line that, that we replaced it with, but that's, um, that was the, the, the last. And you stayed there for three months until they kicked you out? Um, at, at uh, three months, I think they could, they could like send in, you know, <laughs> they could actually kick you out. But Joey said for three months, we're cool. So I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is, this is awesome. But oh, you know, every once in a while, I think just to tr- just to make it hard, you know, they would they'd be like on the the floor right above us. It was just like eight in the morning. You just start hearing jackhammers, you know, going, you know, because because floor by floor they were just gutting, yeah, every single apartment, windows make- included. So there's no, you know, like uh, apps, you know, no windows. And it was really weird. No door hinges, or no door, uh, you know, hardware except for the hinges. So what would happen is the the wind would get going, and 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 these doors would just slam at all hours. So it was just like out of out of nowhere. You know, these big birch doors were just boom. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it was it, it was not without its kind of the yeah. spookiness. You know what I mean? It, because Every week there would be less and less people there, and it got to the point where the, I think by the time we left, man, there was only like you know two or three people whose leases hadn't run out yet, and, and uh, they were way up on the top. And uh, so it's like it, it was it was spooky, but it was free. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. It sounds like you paid for it though in some other way. Yeah, but three months, you know, in that position that young might as well have been a year probably oh it's it was it was amazing (laughs) because it was like 
totally dilapidated. Like the, it, it was, it was just surreal because like the, you walk into the lobby and and it's just completely gutted, right? There's wires hanging down from the ceiling. There's there's all this plumbing exposed. You know, it's like you know, big heaps of construction materials and then a big stack of new stuff and and uh, you know, it's just a full on construction zone. But there's still a doorman, so that. <laughs> and, and he would like he was super cool he would actually like take messages for us wow <laughs> and then if, if if it was really important he would he would come up and say man you got a phone call wow. like if it was like but that, it was very unusual for a while there my you know I had to like tell my mom like yeah moved over to this apartment building with Joey He's uh, living here, and uh, it's pretty cool, um, you know. <laughs> He's oh, oh, that's that's good. What's the number? And I'm like, um, so I gave her the number, I'm, but this is a payphone, so he, he, he was, you know, it was kind of like just just improvising and, and and survive another day. Yeah. Well, I remember watching. You know, I I couldn't get to the TV fast enough, man. When round and round would come on MTV. You know, and see your guitar solo, and you come crashing through the ceiling. And I watched it a hundred times, man. You know, I loved it. I, I mean, and I would shed all that stuff and wanted man and lay it down round and round. I mean, it was a great time to be learning how to play guitar too, because you had guys like yourself, and you could hear the stuff on the radio, but it had it had substance to it. You know, the musicality it was cool, but then other people could enjoy it. It was radio was a hit record you don't have that now man that's well it's it's by comparison it's it's fragmented um, there's no bottleneck anymore like you know that at that time there were this is the do we need wait no scratch that oh. it's further down okay. <laughs> it looks like that it's it's fragmented now um, and it's 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 a whole other thing back then uh it, it bottlenecked to basically two rock and roll stations, KLOS or KMET. And um, they were pretty close on the dial and when one had a commercial, you just went to the other. But it, it seemed like, every, you know, it, everything and anything that was gonna do anything, you know, went through those channels. Now, God, it's, it's just completely unrecognizable to the, to the way it was done, you know. It's just absolutely, uh, completely changed. Yeah, right. The local lick show started playing You Think You're Tough. Um, you know, the, the the shows got better and, you know, the draw got better and all that kind of thing. And then on a, on a national scale, uh, when Round and Round hit MTV, you know, that happened on a, on a national scale. Um, now, it, like, everyone was watching MTV. You know, there, there was just a common denominator um, which which just seems like it's it's completely just fragmented you know yeah Where we had sushi the other night, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It must have been an exciting time. I mean, you were in the thick of it, but I mean, you were really young, too, and, and to be around. You know, Van Halen was a few years before, but then they had already hit and made it big, and then you had all these other bands, you know, kind of. Chasing, yeah. You know? It was, it was, it, again, it felt like, you know, we were just in the right place. Um, we were sort of. You know, wow, when Van Halen walked up these stairs, you know, like yeah, you know, the right. whiskey, when you, you know, when you, when you first walk in the whiskey and you're going to the dressing room, it's like, wow, the, the doors walked up these stairs, you know, Van yeah. Halen walked up these stairs, uh, Hendrix, Joplin, you know, there, there was this, this feeling of like, okay, this is, this is flammable, you know, <laughs> 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 we're San Diego had no, yeah. 
no landmarks like that, you know. <laughs> I love it down there, but it, you know. So, so, so we threw our stuff up there, open for Saxon, and and that, and and things seemed to that then things seemed to be a little easier. Like you know, we could you know actually we were sort of bookable or whatever. Like you know, our our, our days got that better. That was sort of the game changer at the, at the Troubadour, bit. and then eventually I remember uh, we we would actually get a weekend, a Friday or a Saturday where you know we were we were the the last band. And, and, you know, people were actually showing up. But for a long time, man, we would just play wherever, you know, people that had no idea who we were. Maybe it was, like, New Wave Night or something, you know what I mean? I just remember there was there were shows where it's like, you know, people didn't get it at all. Exciting, but, like, you know, a little scary because you don't know what's going to happen. There's Absolutely. so many bands that never really went anywhere, you know? Absolutely. And I, and I think if, if we really... Or at least for me, if I knew really how high the odds were, just how many people were trying to to do the same thing. Like if you know how what the odds really are, right? It's like would you? Would yeah. you I don't. I don't know, man. It's it, it's uh, you know, looking back, it was it was pretty unbelievable. You know. We opened the. the you know what? What changed? What you really kind of changed everything. There was uh, Saxon was playing the whiskey. Two two shows in one night. Four in the afternoon. Got a call. You know. You, you, you know. Get 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 your stuff and and you know go to the whiskey. You know, we threw our stuff up there and we were the we got to open the, that show. And that was like the first time we were actually in front of an audience that um, there was potential for them to be into it. It was weird, man. Like you know we for a long time we were you know, we would just play. Play a show, you know. There would be a show at the Troubadour here and there. I remember the the the, the, the you know there was a, when I had to, you know jump in the car and come up and rehearse and be you know and play, to play that Troubadour show. It must have been opening for someone. I don't remember it being. I don't remember who it was, but you know it, 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 we were way down on the bill, you know. Um, but you know back then, man, you had to just any opportunity you got, you had to. Yeah, you had to be you ready just and had jump to on play, it. you know. And, it must have been super competitive, man. All the bands, super competitive, and it, and if if like for some reason you had to cancel, you didn't show. It was like you know, ten steps backwards. You had to really deliver, you know. If you if you get if you were lucky enough to get on a club schedule, you know, you really had to to show up at all costs, or or you know, forget it. From then on. You know, Rat was, was in those days. It, it was fairly typical of like people changing around all the time. Mm -hmm. Like drummers, a lot of different drummers for a while, and, and uh, a couple of you know different bass players. Like my, you know, for a while, my you know Jake's Jake and my friend Gene was in. in uh, Gene Hunter was was in the band, and then and then uh, a guy named Joey Chris. When you guys were playing on the strip. Were you, you were opening up for other bands and stuff too, I'm sure, right? Mm-hmm. Did you ever open up for Van Halen or any of those bands at the time? No, Van Halen was, by this they by this time, they were already, uh, you know, on their third record. That's true, yeah. You know, um, you, you didn't want to open for, for them. Uh, I felt so bad for the opening acts for Van Halen. I mean, I really felt sorry for them. Because it's like no one wanted to hear anything. <laughs> it just didn't matter, you know. I remember the first time I saw them, uh, they would do this thing. They would do this thing. It was so cruel. <laughs> like after the opening act would would finish, and it was like it seemed to just take forever. Just like you know, it's like watching TV or something. Yeah, right? waiting for Van Halen. Yeah, it. waiting for Van Halen. Uh, so that so then they would like the, the opening act would would finish, go off the stage, and then the the lighting guy would that the, they would darken the lights like Van Halen was going to come out <laughs> without a set change or anything, and make the place go completely crazy. Oh, <laughs> oh man! You know, and then the house lights come on, and 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 then they do the set change. You know. <laughs> um. 
Yeah, thanks, Warren, again for um, swinging by and giving me this tour and, you know, doing this with me, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming out to the gig, too, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a good time, and uh, it was cool revisiting, uh, you know, all these places, hanging out. Yeah, always. We'll have to do one in, in New Orleans. Man, you guys have to come visit. Come visit in, uh, any time. You keep talking about how you miss rain. There'll be plenty of rain there. That sounds you know, good, man. Come in the fall. Don't come in the summer. <laughs> I don't think your Southern California blood could handle it for too long. Oh, God. It is like, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely, man. We'll, we'll, uh, let's do it again. All right, if you're still with me, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I only ask if you do like these shows, uh, and by the way, there's many more. Uh, I've got some with John Schofield, Mike Stern, Lanny Stern, Dweezil Zappa, John Oates, many, many more great ones coming up too. They do take a ton of work to edit. I'd appreciate if you just go to iTunes and leave a great rating for me. It definitely helps out. Thanks a lot.